Hello and welcome to Talking Capital. I'm Ian Barnard, CEO of Capital Generation Partners, and I'm here with our Chief Investment Officer, Robert Sears, to answer three questions posed by our clients in recent weeks. For those who don't know us already, CapGen is a private investment office for families with capital. We are go-anywhere investors, so in the course of these episodes, you can expect us to cover any question across any asset class in any region of the world, from bricks and mortar to portfolio derivatives. In summary, this is a podcast where we answer the questions playing on the minds of sophisticated long-term investors. Do subscribe if that sounds up your street, and you'll enjoy two episodes a month of Talking Capital. So first of all, welcome to our summer schedule where we're on a monthly rather than a bi-monthly rotation. I know that many of us keep in tune with markets through the summer holidays, but for those who don't, uh, you'll only have two episodes to catch up with come September and the return to return to work, return to school and all that. If I might, I'm going to start with a, with a small boast to say that we are thrilled to say that you are now listening to an award-winning podcast. So thank you to Citywell for naming us the best in the industry in 2023. Uh, we're very pleased indeed. But bragging over, let's move on to investments and markets and quite a lot going on at the moment. And maybe we'll start with the dollar and currencies, Robert, if we might. So big moves in currencies in recent weeks. Uh, what's going on? Yes. Yeah, so we've, we've certainly seen um, some big momentum coming uh, against the dollar, really. I think that's the key story, the key movement that we've been witnessing. And I think the bigger context that I'll put it into is really, as we've talked about before, is thinking about liquidity. And the liquidity cycle and wave that we've seen actually follows quite closely to the performance of the dollar, if you look at the broad dollar index, the Dixie index. So yes, there have been these big moves. Firstly, the, the dollar uh, weakening as we uh, through 2020, as the economy looked pretty strong, and then the march upwards of the dollar as liquidity was pulled out of the market in, in, in 2021 and 2022. And really, since the Q4 of 2022, when we've seen this, this rally, uh, rally off the, the bottom in, in equities, really the dollar's weakened by about 12.5% uh, against the developed market currencies. And there was this pretty sharp move that we've seen in the first few weeks of, of July. Now, arguably, sharp move, there's a bit of correction when things overshoot, and we've seen a little bit of that in the last few days. But really, what's behind this, this period where the dollar has, has started to weaken again? I think the first point, as we said, is it's about liquidity. Uh, and really, liquidity pumping into the system, more dollars available, that's certainly been the case. Why does it also matter is the two big forces in currencies and many asset markets, valuation momentum, are both in sync, finally. So the dollar has had this big bull market for the last 10 years coming off the GFC and starts the period an expensive valuation when you look at valuations like purchasing power parity or real effective exchange rates. The dollar is expensive against most other currencies. So it starts expensive. And that's always a good point to tell where you are in that um, sort of pendulum. We're at one side of the pendulum. Now, you can, can always go a bit further and it's hard to know. Timing is not easy with, with, when you just look at valuations, but it does give you a, a good reckoner of where the next big move might be. So we've had that poised, ready for a dollar bear market. And finally, now in the last, certainly the last month, but it, really the last um, six, seven months, there's been this momentum building against the dollar. So momentum and valuations 
And we've seen positioning as a result, people jumping on that, herding on that trade. And that, that's where we've seen these, these sort of rapid moves uh, more recently. And if we think about the, what the other sort of fundamental drivers are, really, it's behind the story of thinking about either relative growth rates is one um, narrative. And the other narrative really is about relative carry, the relative differential of interest rates. And that's an example where really what the market's grappling with is, are we getting to this peak moment of rates? So is, is inflation, we're in this de- disinflationary cycle. And if rates are peaking out, then the gap in the interest rates between the US and the rest of the world is going to close. And that's certainly been a key driver behind the recent moves of the dollar. So although medium term, prepare yourself for the dollar bear market, the one cautionary moment or, or thing that I'll flag really is when we think about the dollar, there are two periods where it can do well, either when the US is outperforming the rest of the world and growing faster, or as a safe haven currency when fear reigns supreme and everyone rushes to the safe haven of the, the world's reserve currency. And I think that's the risk, key risk short term to although medium term dollar bear market looks like a good way to be positioned. The real risk lies if if the recessionary risks rise again, that's where you may see um, a short term bid for the dollar. So I think that's the cautionary risk, like we've mentioned about risk for equities. But really, the, the other the other factors are all lining up really for this period of dollar weakness. So the irony in a way is that if things continue as they are economically, that is to say, the US grows and uh, manages to cope somehow with the increase in rates, which might stabilise or indeed fall before those in the the rest of the world. And so you've got that sort of positive rate differential outside the US. It looks as though the dollars, you know, could continue to weaken. But in the event that the US doesn't manage to get through this increase in rates, quite as it seems to be doing at the moment and there is a slowdown in the US, it could well be that there's then a bid again for the dollar and it becomes that safe haven trade. So it's, it's that there's a certain sort of irony in the whole thing, isn't there? Yeah, there is the reflexivity about the, the stronger dollar itself pulls out liquidity, which which makes financial conditions more tight, which weakens the economy. So there is, there is some element of reflexivity. But I think the the dollar smile is a good way of thinking about it. And this was, again, I've mentioned before, Stephen Jen first coined the phrase when he was at Morgan Stanley. The dollar does well when the US is growing one end, as I mentioned the other side, when there's sort of weak economic data, the dollar can do well. And the real middle part is you want the rest of the world to be growing faster than faster than the US. So I think medium term, if we do get through the recession and have better growth in the rest of the world, that could be the period that's most beneficial for the sort of US dollar bear positioning. The one possibility of why, where you may get to the right end of the, the smile again is if the AI boom benefits the US more and there's more productivity growth there than the rest of the world, like for example, Europe, that could be like the ni- late 90s, be another source for dollar strength. So yes, there's that circularity now um, about between dollar rates and sort of weak economy. But also we need to bear in mind sort of dollar productivity growth for medium term. Well, as we know, currencies are ultimately zero sum. One currency can only weaken if one other or others are strengthening. So let's turn to one of those that is the flip side of relative dollar weakness at the moment, which is which is sterling. You know, sterling's rallied 
quite a bit from the the lows we've seen. But at the same time, when you you know if you live in the UK and read the UK press, it's all pretty gloomy and the prognosis for fiscal deficits for what's going to happen in the mortgage market to what's going to happen to inflation it all seems pretty pretty gloomy and the outlook looks pretty weak so how are you how are you explaining that robert why why this bid for sterling at the moment yeah so i think the the first point would be uh, exactly as you said zero sum two sides of the coin it, it's more about the it was as much about the dollar as it is about sterling so we're seeing similar moves against the euro as an example so i think that's the fir- first point I think the other point which was behind it was valuations had got very cheap. So when sterling in 2022 was was trading below 1.1 to to the dollar, that was generational lows. So you really were at that end of the pendulum. So really all we've done in that rally from there back to sort of 128 or, or, or so where we are today is back to the middle of the range that we've been in since Brexit. So really, since the big decline in sterling over Brexit, cable's been trading between 1.2 and 1.4 to the dollar over that range. So yeah, we've come a bit off the pendulum. We're back to the middle of that range, a recent range. And even that range is below sort of fair value of maybe 140 to 150 on the the dollar, dollar sterling. So I think valuations was a key part. And what was also driving it was the, the, the high inflation in the UK the threat was more about monetary policy is going to push rates up um, higher. Rates are going to peak at a higher level in the UK than than the US or Europe. So that was that was the key driver that that sort of made sure we swung from the edge of valuation was that threat of higher rates um, in the UK. Now, in the last few days, the good news is even in the UK, inflation is coming down as we suggested. There is a bit. There are reasons why the UK was a bit higher than the rest of the world and also reasons why it would still have the disinflationary lag, but just just take a bit longer. So good news. Finally, inflation is coming down a bit. And that's that's helped sterling drop slightly after after the recent recent move up. But but we still remain at cheap levels. So a lot of the bad news when we're thinking about the UK is priced into the currency market is priced into UK equities. All you need when you've got a lot of bad news priced in is just a bit of positive surprise to the upside and and you can see see prices recover so i think that's still the sort of regime we're in in the uk cheap cheap assets uh, you just need a bit of positive surprise and a lot of gloomy news is priced in already yes we uh, we've reflected on that elsewhere haven't we that uh, it's when things go from terrible to bad that you can see the most dramatic turnaround in expectations and therefore asset pricing. And maybe, as you say, that's a bit what's happened in the in the UK. But but moving on, let's turn to small caps, which you know are gaining some momentum at the moment. Can you talk about what's behind the surge. Yeah. So again, the the context really matters, and the context is small cap as a factor, the famous farmer French factors. Really, if you look at the data of the last 20 years or so, it's been pretty hard to argue that there is this small cap premium. Um, certainly, small caps haven't had a great period of, of relative performance for a long period of time, while the premium used to provide a lot greater support. And we've talked about it quite a lot on this podcast about the narrowness of the market in the first five months of the of the year. And really, those few tech stocks in the US were driving most of the gains and everything else was doing relatively poorly. And small caps was no differentiator. So in our um, 
sort of assessments of, of different factors. When we looked at mega cap versus mid cap or mega cap versus small cap, mega cap, those few names were really outperforming for, for this year and, and sort of going to quite wide levels of valuation spreads. Whereas even if you looked at mid cap to small cap, there wasn't actually much difference. So it was all, the story was more about mega caps, although even having said that, smaller caps sort of suffered a little bit. Now, the good news for the markets in and those believing in a, a bull market is in June and July so far, we've seen a bit more broadening out to other stocks doing better. And that's good news because you need a broader market for bull markets to survive. And it's good news for small caps because it, finally it means the small caps doing a bit better against the larger caps. So I think that's been the key reason rationale. And also you could link to that if we really are of having this immaculate disinflation and avoiding a big recession in the US, then if we get back to better growth, then the small caps start cheap and will do better. There's a lot of cyclical names in there um, that will benefit from a period of growth. So I think those are the key key drivers. So I think if I was to put my flag in in the flag down about small cap, I, I, I still think the factor is real and there is a premium to be had. And at the moment, small caps and small cap value in particular looks particularly appealing. So I, I would say in the medium term, again, it's a good story, good positioning to have. But the risk is they will suffer in recession. So the short term risks of recession still sort of are a reason why you shouldn't go sort of all in and and um, put a lot of weight into small cap at this stage, even if, you know, on a five year horizon, small cap should do very well against against larger cap. Putting, putting aside, we still think the small cap premium, which is you know how we express it, is intact and, and lies ahead uh, rather than behind us. But small caps will in any recession generally tend to have a harder time of it than their than their larger brethren so if that's a risk in a on a short-term horizon you know be careful as always in investment the time horizons are really important component but but putting that to one side let's assume that we want to achieve some sort of small cap exposure how do you like to access it i mean is that something that you know we should be doing actively or passively is it is it a spread trade should we think of it as spread trade to large caps how how, how do you think about the, the the means of access so i think there isn't there isn't one single answer i think if if you're trying to get that quantitative premium that that at the moment is is available because a lot of small cap are particularly cheap and small cap value in particular you can do that in a pretty systematic um, fashion and certainly we have some quantitative systematic exposure that gives us small cap value exposure within our portfolios in a in a cheap way and uh, I think that's poised to do very well. It, it did well in June as, as an example when when there's a bit more breadth to the markets, but I think that's a good exposure um, to capture that broad premium. But having said that, I think as much opportunity in small caps at the moment is going back to that idea that we are at a turning point. And turning points means um, beneath the surface, it's not just what looks optically cheap when you look at um, sort of accounting ratios, price to earnings, price to book, free cash flow yield. It's not just what's, what's optically cheap, that is an opportunity, but it's also within the small cap, there are unknown, unloved securities in particular at the moment, 
when a lot of attention goes to mega cap, which are cheap and provide opportunities where there have been issues, problems with companies that don't look cheap when you just have a cursory glance, but you need to actually have a look a bit below the surface and also where you can get actively involved. So there is definitely at this turning point room for active management. So although we're trying to capture that premium that's available at the moment, um, in a more systematic way, we, we still have exposure within our active long-only equity managers, but also even event-driven managers looking at some of those special situations, which at this time, again, it provides quite a fertile environment. And I would highlight a UK as one example, which we talked about in the last question. The UK has a lot of issues. There are a lot of UK stocks which are exposed internationally, which as a result are trading cheap, even though there's a very good growth stories and you're not exposed to the UK. So that's just one example. Other examples might be small cap stocks in Japan. But so so there are there are a number of ways we can play and take advantage of um, the opportunities within small caps at the moment. And one of the things we've talked about, Robert, haven't we, is how... So, so what have we seen over the last few years? One of the big trends obviously has been the huge commitment of capital to private equity sponsors, so to private equity funds. And uh, they've not had an opportunity to deploy a lot of that over the last year or so. Bid ask has become very wide. Deals aren't closing at quite the same rate that they were. And obviously, in the background, you've got the slightly um, tougher financing environment for, for the sponsors. But nevertheless, they have a have a lot of capital to deploy. And one of the things we've talked about, isn't it, Robert, is, is, you know, where does that go? And it does seem that one of those places, you know, could well be small caps in in unloved markets. And one thinks uh, when it comes to unloved markets, I guess, particularly of the UK and of Japan. Yeah, I think those two really do stand out. And we've got, we've activist positions in, in both areas that really look poised to take advantage of that market opportunity. Having said that, just talking about private equity in, in passing, I think that's the interesting trend is private equity weathered the storm a bit well last year, mainly because earnings held up so far and the marks didn't need to account for the big swings in valuation. I think the, you, you see a bit of that. The other side this year is valuations clearly have been driving, the price earnings moves have been driving all of the equity returns really year to date. It's not been an earnings story. Um, so the the the, da- the, the uh, downside for private markets is you're not going to have such of a upswing in in a in a in a sort of equity rally based on valuations like this year. And as you mentioned, Ian, that bid offer spread, the, 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 there's a, just this difficulty to get deals done. Um, so not only is fundraising difficult, it's difficult for exits at the moment. So um, private equity still is in this bit of um, treading water stasis environment for the moment. But to take advantage of that, uh, the, the deals that do happen, I think activist positions in public markets in, in UK and Japan are quite quite good ways to, to take advantage of that. You touched, Robert, on the, the broadening we've seen in market action. So, you know, for the first few months of this year, the story of equity markets was, yes, you know, in, in aggregate, equity markets were going up. But when you unpicked, well, where exactly was that coming from? It was coming from a very narrow group of stocks, a Magnificent Seven or whatever they now are, and NVIDIA being the poster child for uh, for all of them. And what we've seen a bit more recently is that that's broadening. The, the, the market is, to use that technical term, less concentrated. And that's generally a sign that investors are feeling more bullish. Uh, and at the same time, you know, we've got the um, 
the new next earnings seasons coming along. So, so where, where, where do you think we are? I mean, not, I guess, we capture, and I suppose, where the market is. What do you think investors are expecting as we, as we head into the earnings season? Is it, what is it that's leading, the, leading to this market broadening? Well, I think uh, price movement and sort of is, is a key part. So optimism, price is going up, helps lead, lead to optimism. And a lot of that is driven by liquidity. I think the other big factor is really the disinflation is real and it's happening. So as as many people suggested, now you could argue maybe this is transitory inflation when you when you stretch the definition of transitory. And, and that argument is yet to be won. How much of that is down to um, supply chain issues being, being removed um, or how much is it down to actually monetary policy and tightening effects? Um, and that's that's the area we're in at the moment. We're getting the benefit of falling rates, and we haven't priced in any of the downside. So that's almost the perfect environment. You've got falling inflation and growth holding up. That's a good environment, and that's been why one of the key reasons why equities are going up. And having said that, as I mentioned, most of the performance is in the multiple, the multiple expansion, not earnings um, increase, and that's the danger we're at. So. Um, we may well have the soft landing, but the problem is soft landing is basically priced into equity markets at the moment. Um, the, the good news is there. The good news is there on multiples. The good news is there on um, on sort of level of earnings. Um, so it's really hard to see a big positive surprise and, and earnings really recovering from here. Now, shorter term, um, sort of in the US, as an example, growth was pretty good in the last quarter. I mean, it wasn't terrible. Yes, it's slowing, but it's not terrible. So you wouldn't expect the earnings um, to fall off a cliff this quarter. So I think that's, that's. I don't think we're going to have the massive negative surprises. There may be pockets of, of um, difficulty. But, but the problem is, being priced to perfection, there is still this risk of earnings declining. And uh, although growth is holding up in the US, globally, if we're considering global growth, Global growth is already slowing noticeably. It's not yet at the the sort of low levels of global growth that we have had previous recessions in the last 40 years, but it's on the way, mainly because of the slowdown in China and to some extent Europe as well at the moment. We haven't even had the, the, the full effects of the slowdown in the US. And if my point earlier about the effects of raising rates Really, um, we haven't won the battle yet on inflation. That's that's to be known. And the full impacts of the, the rate hikes haven't fed their way through. They do work with a bit of a lag. So if a lot of the, the decrease in um, inflation so far was really a story of supply chain issues, temporary supply chain issues resolving themselves a bit, um, and some of the declines in energy prices and some of the commodity prices, then... Um, I think we've got more difficulty to come. Either uh, inflation is going to undershoot and that's going to feed its way through to negative earning surprises, if not this quarter, next quarter. Or there's going to be more pain to come from hiking rates to really defeat inflation. Um, so I think it's too early to, to think we've pulled off this immaculate disinflationary soft landing, um, which is priced in. And that's the vulnerability is any negative surprise on earnings or um all sort of and or um multiples coming down because multiples in the US are particularly high. So any surprise either on liquidity or risk um leading to uh, and, and sentiment pulling back multiples a little bit 
um, you you can have a some some um, some downside. So I think that remains the risk. Whether it comes this earnings season or not, the risks are still there because all the good news at the moment is priced in, and we haven't got to that. Um, the key moment of seeing whether the landing is is really pulled off, and so so I think the the crunch time is still to come. One of the one of the narratives that's out there is that so so you know why why the resilience of the U.S. economy and U.S. consumers when in the background interest rates have been going up and that has you know meant that households are paying a bit more on their loans and corporations having to pay a bit more debt interest and if you're going out to buy a house uh, 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 as new then the price at which you can borrow has has gone up so you've got all these headwinds that we we know about and we we were talking about through last year not we alone uh, and therefore anticipating that things were going to be a bit tougher this year economically than they've turned out to be. And the narrative is, well, what, what we all underestimated was that there were excess savings, particularly in the US, as a result of all the COVID payments. And so what was going on was that, uh, yes, there was inflation, yes, there were wage pressures, but corporations were able to lift prices uh, in line and therefore keep their keep their margins intact but at some point at some point those surplus savings are going to run out and that's when the crunch moment comes for for earnings so so you know does it mean that you have to have a recession maybe maybe not but if you just run out of those surplus savings is at the moment when when earnings start to feel a bit pinched what what, what do you make of that robert do you, do you think there's something in that or or, or not um, I think the savings argument certainly was true, particularly sort of earlier in in the cycle. That that really was a key support. And there, this distortion of COVID is the number one reason why forecasts are wrong and slightly out of sync at the moment. So we cannot underestimate um, the sort of knock on impacts we're seeing. We're we're still seeing those ripples of that huge. Um, uh, sort of rock that was thrown in the water and we're watching the ripples come through now in the data and it's still still affecting things today um so i think that that is pretty key but more recently i think it's not necessarily been the case about the excess savings i think certainly the last nine months or so it's actually been more about income growth so um, aggregate income growth has been spent savings have stayed roughly the same there hasn't been this um sort of reduction there's still excess savings out there but they're not necessarily evenly distributed but they're not not sort of reduced over that period of time actually the labor market sort of held up a bit better in the last nine months or so um so payrolls data we've seen has been pretty strong wage growth was pretty strong and as inflation comes down there's there's real wage growth uh, coming back so um that's been more of the the recent um support now the the one thing again is it too early to 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 sort of flag success for the labor market perhaps because the labor market was so strong we were in that um that that part of the curve where really the pressure in the labor market was leading to higher wages and so far wages have come down a bit and certainly vacancies have come down a bit so the pressure of reduction in growth has been from easing there easing in vacancies easing in wages We've not really seen the the, the jack up in in um, unemployed um, in uh, numbers, and 
but we're coming towards that point. As inflation comes down, that's the point. The, the more you slow from from this point on, suddenly it, it impacts more in um, in uh, unemployed, and there you'll see more of a noticeable hit to to spending. So that's why actually I think maybe the forecast we were everyone was a bit um, wrong in timing, um, but but the pressure is still to come as inflation gets closer to two. That's where you'll see. Inflation coming down, growth coming down, feeds its way into jobless numbers going up, and that's that's the crunch point um, for growth. Um, so I think we've still still got those um, some of those issues to come. And maybe the big lesson to learn at the moment, I think, almost is is about timing. Um, the world has become so frenetic; uh, markets are so used to these big bounces that happen quickly, like we had in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and and the last ten years. Every time there's a drop in markets has been bounced back really quickly with po- policy support. And maybe this time around, you've just got to realise that everything's going to happen with a bit more of a delay than we expected. So the inflation bounce, everyone was expecting transitory inflation. And yes, it was transitory, but it took longer to work its way through um, uh, for, for the disinflationary period to happen. In the same way now, everyone's expecting gro- uh, a recession and growth slowdown. Yes, growth is slowing, but it's just happening a bit longer than we expected. So in the same way, I think being patient is the is one of the biggest uh, weapons in the arsenal of, of an investor today. Thank you, Robert. Time's up. Thank you for joining us. As I said at the outset, we'll be back again in uh, four weeks' time. In the meantime, happy summer. Thank you. Bye. You can subscribe to Talking Capital on all major platforms. Capital Generation Partners, LLP is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and is registered as an investment advisor by the US Securities and Exchange Commission. This podcast and opinions expressed do not constitute investment advice and do not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or any other investment or product. Nothing said during this podcast should be construed as an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity. All information and opinions expressed herein are current as of publication are subject to change without notice. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from Capital Generation Partners to the listener. Capital Generation Partners makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or of any of the information contained in this podcast. And any liability, therefore, including in respect to direct or indirect loss, is expressly disclaimed. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. This podcast may not be copied, reproduced, further distributed to any other person or published in whole or in part for any purpose. Further information, including our privacy statement, can be found on our website at www.capitalgenerationpartners.com.